Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Biblical Question. We are excited you've taken time out of your day to listen to our podcast. For more information about us, you may visit our website at biblicalquestion.com. We will tell you the web address again at the show's end. We encourage you to open your Bible and follow along as we study the Bible. Now here is your host, Joseph. Hello, I do also wish to thank you for joining us. We're going to talk today a little about shepherds defending their people, standing up and, and watching over their families. Uh, we had a conversation here a few weeks ago with some folks who really didn't believe that it was okay to defend your family or uh, biblically speaking. And so, you know, this is something I guess that our society as a whole is starting to think or believe, uh, which is kind of really sad. And, and we're going to use two examples in this podcast. So again, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 14. And if you do have your Bible, I would ask that you please open it and follow along. We have um, this idea here, who, who is Abraham? Uh, Abraham was uh, obviously a, a shepherd. And the folks that we were talking to said, well, shepherds were meek, lowly, uneducated, uh, people and that's just really not true. Uh, they might be considered maybe the low of their society in their day and time, but to say they couldn't read or write or take care of everyday business, uh, I just don't see that happening. Uh, that would be like saying a, a farmer or rancher today in America can't financially make it and survive. He's that's not true. In fact, uh, some of the most wealthiest people in our area uh, are cattle ranchers. And so we have um, this idea somehow people back in the day of Genesis were just barely out of the Stone Age and uh, using square wheels or whatever. And Come on, folks. Um, these were people who knew how to survive. They knew how to take care of business in their day and time. Uh, and so in Abraham, uh, again, he is a shepherd. And you can see all that in the previous chapters leading up to uh, this chapter 14 of Genesis, where Abraham and Lot, are they're fighting, their herdsmen are fighting over where we're going to graze each other's flocks. And they had grown so big in their herds and, and flocks and whatnot that it really becomes an issue. And so Abraham, in his wisdom, goes to his nephew Lot. And Lot's name in Hebrew, if I recall correctly, means dark. <laughs> and so there's a, there's a little bit about that name, I guess, because he and Abraham are standing up on a hill and they're looking uh, over a valley and Abraham says, if you want to go to the right, I will go to the left. If you want to go to the left, I will go to the right. Let us not fight and argue. And this is a point about families. Uh, I, I see it more and more how families don't communicate with each other or they're always at each other's throats because they have different political views, religious views, uh, whatever. There's all kinds of reasons why families uh, do not get along. And that's really a sad situation. And so, anyway, they make this decision, and Lot 
he sees the pretty green grasses uh, off to the distance, and he says, I want to go over there. And that would be uh, where the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah will be. And so Abraham says, fine. And Abraham uh, moves off to the uh, hill country, and he is separated from Lot. Now, do they see each other again? Uh, I'm not real sure if they do or do not. They just kind of know where each other would be living. And so I'm going to kind of pick up here in verse uh, 10. And I'm going to read here through verse 16. And please, if you have a Bible, follow along. I'll be reading for the New American Standard Update. It says, Now in the valley of Sidium was full of tar pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and they fell into them. But those who survived fled to the hill country. Then they looked at the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food supplies and departed. They also took Lot, Abraham's nephew, and his possessions and departed where he was living in Sodom. Okay, so kind of what I... Uh, I just was talking about. And so, this is, if you look earlier in the chapters, about 14 years between the time that these uh, Abrahams and his nephew kind of separate. And there's been some battles going on, and this war seems to be kind of going on. And Lot finds himself in the middle of this. An interesting thing about Lot is... Uh, he sees this green grass and all this beautiful water to go over to this direction. Now, I would guess, I'm only guessing, that Abraham and Lot knew of Sodom and Gomorrah and the, and the world around them, just like we do today, of the evil things that take place. And Lot really, if you read, keep reading down the road here before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he spots these angels before uh, they enter into the city. So Lot's out taking care of his flocks. So picking back up where, where I left off, verse 13, Then a fugitive came and told Abraham. So this guy, he's escaped out of this battle somehow. And he, he told Abraham uh, the Hebrew, um, back in verse 13, now he was living by the oaks, and is their brothers, and he talks about different people here. They were all allies with Abraham. So Abraham has made allies with the people around him. Verse 14, when Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive, he let out his trained men. Okay, it's important, I think, to see this. Those were who were born in this house, 388 Okay, it's a small little army, but apparently they've been trained, and they go in pursuit as far as Dan. Verse 15, he divided his forces against him by night, and his servants and them defeated and pursued as far as Horbah, which is north of Damascus. Verse 16, he brought back all the goods. He also brought back his relative, Lot, with all of his possessions, also the women and the people. Okay? So now, Abraham, I, I, 
has trained men who know how to obviously use weapons. And some of that reason would be, I would think, the logical thing would believe, is that he's has these large herds and he needs men to be able to keep people from stealing. Uh, you know, we watch the old westerns here in America, you know, all the cow wrestlers and how they would round up all these cows and take them to Mexico and sell them. Well, that's kind of nothing new. This has been going on, obviously, since the day of Abraham. We have it recorded here. These people are stealing, and they're off taking the herds. We have people today, sadly, that the church has been quiet on this subject way too long, is human smuggling and sex trafficking. Now, the Bible doesn't say that's what's going on here, but they're obviously being taken slaves. They're, they're being drugged off to... Uh, another country that they just been conquered by another army, and so we we need to see this. We need to be able to work within the parameters of the laws of the land. Uh, this is with the law of the land during the day of Abraham. You messed with me, I come after you, and I took care of you. We don't know how many casualties were taken by Abraham or nothing, but I kind of get this idea. In verse 16, again, he brings back everything, and it seems like everybody was okay. His lot uh, is fine. All the possessions are fine. And the, uh, the verse here at the end also makes a statement about all the women and the people. So everybody who had been taken captive over this battle, Abraham's little army comes and takes care of the issue. So as a shepherd, uh a meek, moly little man, uh, perhaps, but not stupid or dumb or ignorant, whatever the word you want to use here, uh, the world around him. And he uh, is God's, will choose him and make a promise here, verse 17, as you go on down and read, and into chapter 15 of a promise of a son. So apparently, you know, you have a God-given right to protect uh, your your property, the things that you've worked for, uh, the things that you use to provide for your family, uh, and so on. Now, we have many listeners in foreign countries. I don't know what the laws of your country are. I am not advocating you at one moment to violate any law of your land, including here in America, in the USA. We have laws set up to help protect us and to go after those kind of folks, capture them, put them in jail, and recover our property. And so we, we have a little bit of a system here that's different from uh, the days of Abraham. But the principle still applies. We have a God-given right to protect our families and ourselves. And perhaps, you know, I, I know the law in general speaking in America, you have a right to defend yourself of personal bodily harm or your family. Okay, I, and that might be different from state to state. Again, I, I'm giving a disclaimer for because we're such a litigated society. You need to know the law of your state and where you're at. And so we, we try very hard to, to obey the laws of the land. I think we really need to. A second example of this is King David. 
And I, I want to look at this real quick here. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Again, we have a very similar situation. Uh, you know, a thousand years down the road type thing. But it's still uh, the same idea. And in chapter 30 of 1 Samuel... David's wives and the men, his men and their wives uh, were taken prisoner while David was out uh, doing battle with another group of people. And so, again, here you have it. Uh, David goes out and, uh, and, and gets these folks. He, he goes out and he rescues his wives. Pick up with me, verse 16. When he had brought... Him down, behold, they were spread all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Okay, so they are celebrating. They have defeated and, and gone after King David, taken all this spoil, and they're, they're celebrating. Notice here in verse 17, David slaughters them from the twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken for and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small, great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. Verse 20. So David had captured all the sheep and all the cattle which the people drove ahead and their livestock, and they said, this is David's spoil. Okay, so again, uh, we have David here in verse 21. He has 200 men with him. Uh, that's, they they kind of fall back because they're just really tired. They've already been in all these other battles when they hear, hey, the hometown where we're living has been taken uh captive and they've, they've taken all of our wives and children and so they go after these guys and we know that david has a bigger army than that but these guys are just really tired and, and an interesting thing here again about family okay david sees this uh, group as family and they're they're all living together in this community and, and there seems to be a little bit if you keep reading the the spoil that they capture and bring back between the guys who, who went and actually did battle, and they're saying these people don't deserve anything that we've gotten uh, and captured in return. And David says, no, we're all, we're all one. We're all family. We're not playing that game. Uh, and so that's kind of an interesting uh, view of that. And so, again, David lived in a different time. He was, he was king, and so he could go do what he was doing. Again, we have a military that should be defending the, each nation that we're living in to protect them from invasion. If they're invaded, they have a God-given right, biblical right, to go and defend themselves and, and, and free those folks who have been taken captive by the enemy. So, again, this idea that Christians need to lay down um, and roll over, play dead, that's just really not true. That's not a biblical uh, standpoint. Should we be aggressive in everything? I have never said that in this podcast. 
what I am saying is we need to stand up and defend what God has given to us and blessed us with, including our salvation. You know, we are in a battle as Christians, and so many people in the church, especially here in America, they don't see this. They have really let their guard down. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God. And it's going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, right after this. Do you enjoy our weekly podcast? Though many of our listeners around the world in poverty-stricken nations are not financially able to support our podcast, if you are able, we would be grateful for your help. We offer several ways to help support the podcast on our website, biblicalquestion.com. Would you be in a prayful consideration in your cheerful donation or purchasing through one of our affiliates? Thank you for cheerfully helping us tell a worldwide audience about the Word of God. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Be strong. In the Lord, in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual foes of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, put on and take up, depending on your version, the full armor of God, so that you are able to resist the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to, to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, and the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayerful petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and within this view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf, which I am an ambassador in chains, proclaiming it boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, so again, here's the Apostle Paul. He is in prison when he writes this letter, and he is writing to uh, the church in Ephesus and telling them, and the same principle applies, put on your armor. Only soldiers or, or people who are in battle need armor, okay? And even part of this armor, I think, is interesting. He uses the, uh, a sword. Now, a sword could be a defensive weapon or it could be an offensive weapon, just like any other weapon that uh, you and I might be able to have. And so we need to see the Word of God is that sword. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. We need to know the Word of God for ourselves. And folks, I really appreciate that you listen to this podcast. I appreciate that you go to a worship service. But honestly, truthfully, if you really want to know who God is, if you really, truly want to know what the Word of God says, 
You have to read it and study it for yourself. It, it took a long time for me to kind of break the chains of listening to all these other ideas. And once I really started reading and studying the Word of God for myself, it really came alive. I really was able to get it, grasp it, do all the cross-references. Word studies are just great tools to know and understand the context of what we have in the Word of God. And so, there is so many battlefronts uh, that we have. And I know, you know, recently the Supreme Court, this is a big misunderstanding, really does not do away with abortion, did not make it illegal. It went back to the states. And the states in which we live now have the authority to make up their own minds. In many states, it's amazing how many are saying, we don't want the slaughter of our innocent children. And so I think, again, when I hear people in church really upset, why do they want abortions? Why are they so okay with that? And, you know, so many people would just really love to adopt a baby. I know my wife and I would have loved to have that opportunity. We, we never were able to do that. But I come from a family of 10 adopted children. And so there's always options. And, you know, again, the church doesn't stand up and say, you know, the, these type of relationships uh, do not need to be going on outside of marriage. I mean, when you, a man and woman, come together, there are odds that a pregnancy really could occur. And that kind of activity is really reserved between a husband and a wife. And all these single mothers, you know, we need to help them. We need to encourage them. And I'm going to give you a true example here, something that really, truly happened. And I really want you to really see this, as this is one way the church can stand up and do and fight this battle. We're going to talk about it here in just a moment. Do you enjoy our weekly podcast? Though many of our listeners around the world in poverty-stricken nations aren't financially able to support our podcast, if you are able, we'd be grateful for your help. We offer several ways to help support the podcast on our website. Would you be in prayerful consideration in your cheerful donation or purchasing through one of our affiliates? Thank you for listening, and may He have the glory. Okay, as I said here, I've debated if I really ever want to use this true life story, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. And so there was a young lady in her extreme early 20s who had a Bible study, never grew up in the church, did not really know who Jesus was, perhaps as a, as a curse word, and that's her, her testimony. And she had a Bible study. Somebody knocked on their door and said, hey, would you like to have a Bible study? And she said, sure. And they go through this six, seven-month study, and she finally decides that she really wants to be a Christian. And several months later, she's sitting in, in church, and they have what's commonly called an invitation or an altar call, kind of depending on uh, where you go. But anyway... 
uh, she confesses to one of the church leaders of her secret life. And her secret life was prostitution. And she explained that she was felt really dirty about it. She felt really guilty about it. The problem was she really couldn't find a decent enough job to support her and a child that she had out of wedlock, she admitted. And the father was long gone and would not help support. And so uh, the church, instead of making her taboo, uh, kicking her out, rebuking her, I mean, and I've watched this kind of thing sadly happen, but not here. This group surrounds her. This is a small church group of about 100. They surround her and tell her if she will give it up, honestly give it up and be be accountable, they will help her. And she said, okay, if you go through with your promise, I will make my promise good. And she does. And they do. And, you know, they're in a unique situation. There was a uh, a, a couple, middle-aged couple, who owned a small business. And this small business was trying to save money. And the wife was working as the secretary and scheduling things. And and the business had grown, and apparently they had talked about at one point hiring somebody uh, to help the wife. And so they tell her they're willing to hire her if she will tell them how much she makes doing uh, prostitution acts. And she tells them, I average X amount of dollars, but I really need help with my health insurance. She says, I, I really need health insurance for me and my little boy. And so... They agree to take care of all of this and come to find out the salary they already had in mind was more than what she was making uh, turning tricks. And so she is now married, uh, has several other children. She's married to a great Christian man. And so the point I'm trying to make here is the church there had their armor on. They knew what they needed to do by studying the Word of God and trying to help this young lady. And helping this young lady with her physical needs, her family needs, helped her as well put on her armor of God. And she has a great testimony of what true Christianity is supposed to look like, how we're supposed to help each other and protect each other and pull people out of the captivity of Satan, just like David and Abraham go after those family members who were being held captive, help them, uh, return them, and they bring everything back. And this is what this church does with this lady. They go and they, they pull her out of captivity of sin and death. Even though she's been claimed to be a Christian, you know, she's trying to do the right things. She couldn't do it alone. She needed help. And obviously, she'd heard some things through Bible studies of her own study, uh, sermons and things that she really knew what she needed to do. And she opened her mouth and asked for help. And she got it. Now, that's just one example that I am very familiar with. And I'm sure many of my listeners probably know of a few examples as well. We have many listeners in third world countries. In fact, the bulk of them, majority of the time, 
are from third world countries. They don't have their financial resources uh, that this little church had or other people who listen. And But yet, I've been in third world countries where those folks do the same thing. And I'm aware of many of those little things that have happened where they help each other out. They encourage each other. They pray for one another. And they just don't say, be warm, be healthy, you know, God bless you. And they walk on or, well, that's just God's plan and it'll all work out. Well, it could be God's plan. And if it is God's plan, it could work out. But how do you and I not know part of the plan that God has to see if you and me will live up to, uh, we, there's an old saying, put the rubber where the road meets, you know, type thing. Uh, put your money where your mouth is. Uh, there's a lot of those kind of terms in America, and perhaps uh, our listeners outside the U.S. may not understand what I'm trying to get at. It just put it on point. If you say you're going to be a Christian, speak boldly as you ought to speak. I mean, remember here, here's the Apostle Paul. We just read here in Ephesians 6, verse 20. I am an ambassador in chains. He is in prison for being, uh, uh, proclaiming the gospel message. And he is still asking, hey, I need prayers here so I can boldly speak the way I ought to speak. And so we need to do this. We need to be proclaiming the message boldly. And many people in these third world countries who listen, they struggle. If you follow us on social media, you will see that we put up post all the time as I can find them and as they come in through my email of the persecuted church around the world. And we do have persecution in America. Just It's a different kind. It's on a different level. And so in America, we may not get promotions. We may not get the raises uh, that other people are getting. Uh, because we are standing up for what we believe is right. We don't talk like them. We don't smell like them. We don't go partying with the right people. Uh, we read our Bibles on break. Uh, you know, most people who are around me in a very large company I work for, those immediately around me know that I do this podcast. They know my history. They know how I feel about certain things. And so... Are you doing that as a listener? Are you really saying, well, at work, I'm not allowed to talk about it? Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before men. I take that as a command from Jesus. And you're going to be able to find that here in Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to start in verse 14. You are the light of the world, a city Set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Notice this verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may be seen your good works that glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words... Let them know what you believe as a Christian, that you truly are a disciple of Christ. And I know many people at work and around me, they say they are Christian, 
but their actions, their words, a lot of times say differently. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying you're perfect. Uh, we all have our moments. But this continual thing, there's a, there's a man I knew who, in the church a long time ago in South Dakota, he, he was very good and versed with psychology. He was really uh, into that. Uh, that's kind of what he did for a living. It, he makes this comment. Everybody can change their personality for short periods of time to fit the need and the mode. Long time, long term, you cannot change your personality and how you look and think and feel of the world around you except one way, and that was through Jesus. Jesus can change you and your personality to display the spirit that dwells within you. And I thought that was an impressive statement from a man who was in the medical uh, field and how he really, truly believed in God. And so, again, we are in this battle. And it's not always popular to say, I'm a Christian 24-7. Being a Christian is a grown-up game. Uh, it, it takes grit. It takes sand. This is not a child's play. We are in a battle. We are at war against evil. And I'm going to get a couple of emails. I already know that being evil, some might be this idea of being subjective in terminology. Now, I'm going to disagree here right now up front. If the Word of God says it's evil, it's wrong, then it's evil, and it's wrong. And we need to stand up and, and, and fight against that. That doesn't mean that I tell my friends, neighbors, whoever, co-workers, um, and just slam them to the ground, uh, talk down to them, negative, and say there's absolutely no hope. I knew a man in a church, I didn't realize it at the time, he was a greeter, and people who would visit he had a questionnaire for him, and he would tell them, well, you've done sin too much. There's no hope for you. You must well go enjoy this life because you're headed for hell. Folks, that is so wrong on so many levels. And God loves everyone. He wants everyone to repent and come to know him. That sacrifice on the cross the blood that was shed was for forgiveness of all sins. All sins are forgivable. You and I do not have any authority to say which sin can be and cannot be forgiven. God says if you and I repent, we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful to forgive. And I'm going to point that out here in 1 John. Please uh, turn with me there to 1 John chapter 1. And I think I'm just going to read the whole chapter. It's really, honestly, not that long of a chapter. And there are so many people who do listen to us, who have emailed over the last two and a half, three years, who have made the, this very idea and thought they have in their head that there's just no way God would ever forgive them. And it doesn't matter, really, if other people forgive you or not. Because they, they are sinners, too. They're lawbreakers as well. And so... That doesn't mean that we should not forgive each other. Please understand that, because I believe that we should forgive one another. But if the person 
doesn't want to forgive you, you cannot control that person. All you can do is have the full armor of God on. So 1 John here is the introduction to the, the incarnate word, and that would be obviously Jesus. But here we are. Verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes. Okay, he's talking about the other apostles, including himself. What we have looked at, what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And that life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That would be Jesus. Verse 3, what we have seen, what we have heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that you, uh, our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you God is light, and in him there is no darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, notice this, we lie. We do not practice the truth. Okay? And so here is verse 6. If we're claiming, we're telling everybody around, oh yeah, I'm a Christian man and I believe in Jesus and, and start quoting all kinds of verses that you probably don't know what the meaning of is. You just heard it uh, from somebody and you're just regurgitating. You're, you're walking in darkness if you're not practicing the truth. Verse 7, notice this. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Period. All sin. It doesn't matter uh, what we have done in the past. We cannot change it. We cannot control it. It is done and over with. And we need to let it go. Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay? So when I hear people, well, I, I'm not a sinner, that already tells me that you're deceiving yourself. Okay? Notice this. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, this idea of confession, we, we need to confess our sins to God. Hey, I have done A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever. Some of us have a longer list than others. I get that. But we need to be confessing those. And notice what the Apostle says here. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, so that tells me immediately. If I say, uh, Frankie, I've never sinned. I've never, never in my life. I never. Uh, we're making God out to be a liar. And I personally don't want to go there. And notice this, his word is not in us. In other words, we really don't know the Bible at all. And maybe this is a bad chapter break 
But chapter 2 starts, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the whole world. And John continues this kind of a theme here. We need to know the Word of God. We need to admit and acknowledge that we are sinners, and we will continue to sin. It is really, I, I really don't like this flesh. I'm trapped in it. And there's this fight and struggle that we have with flesh. All of us do. I don't care who you are. You have this trouble, including moms and dads and, and, and the works. Okay? So we need Jesus. We need to put on the full armor of God. We need to have that sword in our hand. That's our Bible and the Word of God. And let us speak to us. And ask God to help you open up the, the, your heart to this so that you may understand the Word of God. I, I pray each time before I begin this podcast, and, and I pray about what I'm going to talk about throughout the week, I want to always profess the truth. I don't want to deceive you, and I don't want to deceive myself. I want the Word of God to speak clearly and boldly. That's what I pray for. Just like the Apostle Paul was asking the church in Ephesians excuse me, to pray for him to be bold. So, do you have a right to protect yourself? Yes. God had a right to come and we were stolen from Satan. He put this barrier out through Adam. That's how sin entered the world, through Adam. Sin has separated us from God. And we're being held captive. And Jesus came to rescue you and me. I certainly hope and pray that you have enjoyed this podcast. We have changed the format just a little bit. Uh, obviously, you've noticed we, we have some plugins here that we're doing. Uh, please consider those plugins and listen to them. Pray about us and tell others about us. We we continue to grow. We are so honored that God has allowed this to happen. Uh, we really hope and pray that even in the U.S. Uh, that we will actually gain more listeners. And but we're happy for listeners, no matter where they're from. And so uh, many listeners download these podcasts twenty, thirty at a time in foreign countries because they don't have internet available always in their homes or on their phones like we do. And so it's a whole different situation. And we're striving really hard to uh, to make changes to this, make it sound better, be more informative. I don't know if we will always go this long, but we always try to bring some type of a message that is very uh, promoting of God and His Word and to uh, allow you to understand God's Word better. Please check out our webpage. We, we've worked on that for several months, trying to get that up and going. Uh, we did release it here uh, a few weeks ago, the update, and we had some hiccups, but uh, I believe all those have been taken care of. And if you've never been to the website, check it out. And if it's been a long time since you have looked at it, 
I would encourage you to bookmark that in your favorites and and go back to it and check it out. We have a prayer list there. Uh, If you need prayers, we would love to pray for you. Uh, We have other information there. We're working on a few other little things. I'm hoping to have some giveaways. That is not a promise at this moment in time. Uh, We're working on that as well. So, again, thank you for listening. May God bless you. Uh, May He have the glory. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Be sure to hit the like button and follow us on your podcasting app. Please check out our website at biblicalquestion.com. All one word, all lowercase. In addition, we have a prayer request page, a way of contacting us, a statement of faith, and other resources for our listeners. Do you have a Bible question you would like answered on a future podcast or prayer request? We would be honored to hear from you and add your prayer request to our list so others may pray for you. Subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on our social media accounts. Again, that is biblicalquestion.com. Thank you and may he have the glory.